Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, one of the most important words in the Bible, in the New Testament for sure, probably in the whole Bible, one of the most important words connected with Christianity is not found one time in the book of Acts. Which is kind of surprising, to be honest. I learned that I never realized this till this week as I was studying. And um, it, um, it's a word that's, that's such a crucial part of Christianity. And, and with the book of Acts, you know, outline the history of the first, like, almost 30 years of Christianity following Jesus, you would have expected this word to be there. But it isn't there. Now, the uh, Apostle Paul uses this word 82 times in 87 chapters of his letters. Uh, The other New Testament letter writers used it 48 times in only 34 chapters. This is an important word. John, in his gospel and in his letters, uses the word 72 times. I mean, wouldn't you expect to find it in the book of Acts? And yet, when I actually look at the book of Acts, it's interesting because I... I find this word all over the book of Acts, even though it's not written there. Anybody want to take a guess what the word is? What is it, Jamie? Love. He's right, yeah. So it's so interesting that the word isn't found, but it's found, but the, the actions are found. We see them, these people together, valuing one another. We see them caring for one another, giving up of their resources for each other, investing their lives to get the gospel out to people. So we see this love in action, and it kind of hit me is that maybe, just maybe, that the Holy Spirit, as he led the writers of Scripture, didn't include the word love, but he showed the actions of love in the book of Acts to remind us that love is not just a noun or a feeling, but it's something that we do. It's an action. It's a choice that we make and an action that we take. And so love is crucial. And we see that when the church was young, they were marked by radical loving. Okay, I mean, the things we read about in the book of Acts and the things that that the authors of the letters called people to, those are big things when it comes to love. They aren't just a nice little feeling, I, you know, oh yeah, I love this, someone or that or whatever. Something much deeper, more profound, more life-changing than that. And, and by the way, this, this idea of love that we're talking about is unique to Christianity and, and the world's largest religions. It just is. In Islam, uh, they will sort of talk about God having some sort of kind of general love toward people, but it's more like he shows mercy sometimes on whoever he decides to. And, and amongst uh, Muslims, they are to treat each other with, with sort of like a brotherhood or a sisterhood. And, and they can even be gracious to a non-Muslim who isn't against Islam, but certainly they would have no concept of loving your enemies, right? That's foreign uh, to them. In Hinduism, in the Eastern religions, 
once again, you know, people just aren't that important. Uh, and there's, there's 330 million gods, and, and which one are you even dealing with? And there isn't, once again, it isn't an idea that God loves people personally. Uh, Hindus are told that they are to love God, but what it really amounts to is this. The, the exp- when you under- dig down and understand what the explanation of it is, it, it's that they are in debt to God and they need to try to work off the debt. And the same thing in their interactions with other people. So when we're talking about love, a love of God who loves his creation and who loves the creatures in it and who loves the human beings who are made in his image, even though they have sinned against him, he loves them enough to pay a supreme price for them. He enters the world, the sin-cursed world, and because he, he loves us and on and on it goes, right? And then we are told to love each other in those same ways. And, and um, this is just unique to Christianity. It's an inseparable part of Christianity, as we will see. And certainly it played into the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus told us something very powerful about love in Matthew chapter 22. So let's take a look at it here. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, let's just stop there for a moment. He had been asked, what is the greatest commandment? And they're talking about the law of Moses. What are we supposed to do? And they got this long list of commandments in the law of Moses. And they had a longer list that they had added on top of that. And they're asking, which one's the greatest? And he he pulls out two different passages of Scripture from the Old Testament. And the first one is, you love God with your whole being. With all that you are, you love God. And the second thing is, you love other people. You know, like you, like you care and love yourself, you love others and value them in that way. But here's the statement that is just amazing when he says, on these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. Everything that the Old Testament scripture says can be hung on these two commandments. And it's not so much about even separating those two commandments, okay? So we can go to the Old Testament. Look, here's a command. Well, what does this command hang? Well, actually, if, if you love God, you will do this. You see what I'm saying? If you, if you love God, you don't even actually need the command. The, the commands, so many times with respect to morality and how we do things, are there to help us understand how to love, okay? Uh, but so all of those things, how you treat your neighbor, that can be hung on, on loving, don't steal from them. Why? Because you love them. <laughs> Don't murder them because you love them. Um, and so love is really, and this, this is not a, a soft, wishy-washy love by any means. We'll see some more. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. But the kind of love that God has and calls us to is central to everything that it means to be a Christian. And if, if you find yourself at any point in time trying to figure out a situation, what, what should I do here? What's the right thing to do here? What's the wise thing to do here? Ask yourself this question. What would be the loving thing to do here? And almost all the time, you'll get the answer right. Okay? So love is central. And then when the church was young, there was radical loving. So, so let's, let's kind of jump into this, more of the scripture. And this, this is what Jesus you know, taught. He taught a lot more than this about love. But he taught this. And then let's go to John, one of John's letters. 
1 John chapter 4. And just read a portion of what he said. John, um, if I remember right, in his letter here, 1 John, he uses the word love uh, 24, 26 times, something like that, in just a few pages. He talks a lot about love. But let's go to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 7. It's page 1401 in the Bible under the chairs there. And he says this, Beloved, let us love one another. He's talking to Christians. Let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So the idea of being born again, having a relationship with God, means that you become a lover the way God intends for you to be. Perfect? No. Needing to grow? Yes. But someone who loves. Verse 8, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Wow, that is... uh, a big statement. So if someone if it really does not have love in their hearts for other people, they do not know God. Because if they know God and God is in them, love comes out. Okay? Once again, that doesn't mean perfect. We, we got work to, to room to grow, lots of room. And then for God is love in his very nature, in his very essence. You don't get God without God's love. Verse 9, in this the love of God was manifested toward us or shown outwardly toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And certainly Jesus himself commanded that of us. But there in, he's saying God's love did something. God's love, he sent his son into the world that we might have life. And he says he, he was the propitiation for our sins. Did you guys use that word much this week? <laughs> propitiation. It means satisfactory payment. Okay, he satisfied. How many sins have you committed in your life? Way more than you can count. Way more than you're probably aware of. Jesus' death was a sufficient payment for every one of those. All the ones you remember, all the ones you wish you didn't remember, all the ones you don't remember. His death, sufficient payment for them all. Is that good news for you? Good news for me. And not just for me, not just for us, but for the whole world. Okay? And so that is the gospel. And by the way, this is what we have to believe in order to be saved. We use that terminology, saved from condemnation, saved from paying the penalty for our own sins in hell. We uh, have to believe the way Jesus died for me. The Son of God died for me. He paid the penalty. Okay. And he rose again from the dead. And I, uh, by faith, I'm, I'm going to believe that. I'm going I'm to receive Jesus as my Savior, you know. And, and all you got to do is just... From your heart, say that to God and mean it. Every sin will be forgiven. You'll receive eternal life. God himself moves in and will begin changing you, helping you to love the way he talks about here. So we can see that that John talks about this in in, in big picture. He says a lot more, but let's, Let's think about what we've seen here in John, what he says, the gospel, what it means, and some other scripture. And let's talk about how does God love us? What is God's love like? Because we're saying that this is where the, the whole gospel starts and where Christianity is built. And so 
what, how does God actually love us? What's that about? So let's take a look. First thing is this. God chose to have a positive disposition toward us. <laughs> positive disposition. What does that mean? Well, it means the idea is he chose to be toward us in a good way. And, and, and you know, I'm going to zero in on these things more a little bit later. But look, let's go back into the book of Deuteronomy and see how God talks about his people there. Go ahead. God has chosen you a special treasure. The Lord did not choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But why did he choose you? Because he did. Because he loves you. And so when we're talking about God's people here, why did he choose to love us? Was there something that, have you ever seen, you know, how many of your children were cute? All of them, right? How many of other people's kids are cute? Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> That's joking, but because really kids are cute. The older I get, the cuter they are. But the point is, is that God did not love us because he looked at us and thought, oh, what a cute little person here. What a smart person. Oh, I love that one. What a beautiful person. I love that one. What a skilled person she is. I love her. None of that. And that's what God is telling his people here. I didn't choose you because it was something special about you. I chose you because I'm me. And I chose to love you. I chose to treasure you. And by the way, this, we go on through this, this applies to all of us. What an amazing thing. I want to encourage you, if you did, you know, if you want to, Change your perspective on life this week. If you're having a rough time, why don't you sit every morning for five minutes and think about what it means that God has treasured you. I'll change you. All right, so God chose to have a positive disposition toward us. It was his choice. It wasn't because of anything about us. And he did this, let's go to the next point there. He chose to value us highly without regard to our merit. That's what I was just explaining to you, right? He didn't just have a positive disposition towards us, but he, he had a positive disposition and then chose to value us. Go to uh, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. That's page 1298 in the Bible there in the chair. So start in verse number 6. And by the way, I, I'm just having to pick out portions of Scripture. There are so many portions of Scripture we can go and talk about love. All right, verse six, for when we were still without strength, and he doesn't talk about physical muscles, he's talking about spiritual strength. When we were dead to God, when we have no strength or ability to change our relationship with him. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the, for who? The what? The ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one day die, but perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he valued us highly without any consideration for whether we deserve it or not. And the reality is, and we ask, did we deserve it? Think about it, Jamie. Did we, did we deserve the love of God? No, no we did not. 
He chose to love us. And I am so glad that He did. And for God so loved the world. That's right. Okay? And, and in uh, 1 John 2, it talks about Him being a satisfactory payment for the sins of, literally, the whole world. What kind of love is that? People who were still sinners. Okay? All right. So, God chose to have a positive disposition toward us and values us highly without any consideration of our merit. Second way he loves us is that God always desires and does what's best for us. He always desires and does what's best for us. Consider what it says here in 1 John 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Beloved, now we are children of God. We receive Christ as Savior. We are children of God. Now, Jesus has a, actually asked a question like this elsewhere in the Gospels, and he says, does a, a father try to give good things to his children or evil things? He gives good things. We know by nature that a parent, when a parent is in a good place in life, they always want to do what's best for their children, and they will do what's best for their children and even sacrifice themselves in order to do it. Okay? And, and so we get that, but we're imperfect in it. But God is the perfect father. And so that means he never misses on this. He always does and wants to do for us what is best for us. Now, do not confuse that with God always does what is pleasant for us. God always does what's comfortable for us. You know, God always does what we think is best. No, he does what is best, always. Uh, and that is such good news. So this means that God loves us enough that he will allow us to suffer if it's going to help us to become Christ-like in what he wants us to be. In fact, he talks about suffering here. He says, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal in us later. So if he's letting us go through suffering now, it's because he has glory to reveal in us later through that suffering. He also loves us enough to correct us as his children. You know, that's important, you know, and we live in a generation uh, that has, because of how they've been brought up and what they don't understand about the truth, certainly from God and other things, is that, that somehow or other it's unloving to correct somebody. Not true. If you correct someone and it helps them, that's a loving thing to do. Well, God loves us enough to correct us. So scripture says, for whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as the Father, the Son in whom he delights. And then as many as I love, Jesus, the Lord says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Okay, I correct them. I, I, maybe I let them experience some pain here so they can learn to do something different because what they're wanting to do is not good for you. Man, just uh, this week I was having a, a fellowship with someone and listening and they were talking about how their approach to life and the sin that was there and how damaging it was to them. You see? But see, God will confront that. God will correct that. He will let you experience the pain from it and try to show you here's the right way to go. Here's the best way to go. And then... 
He's always working for our good, not only toward eternity, but even in this life. In Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. We sang that in the, the, the songs today. And the psalmist says, oh God, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those. Go ahead and go to that if you would. Laid up for those who fear you, which you've prepared for those who trust in you. And then the one we all know well, Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So God always desires and then does what is best for us. That's really good news. Okay. Third thing, God loved us even when it cost him dearly. And we know the story. We already talked about it today. First Peter Peter says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Christ. Uh, Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. And, you know, we don't really understand how the whole Trinity works and God the Father and God the Son. But what we know is the Bible tells us that they have loved each other from eternity past and always will, there's that love relationship and yet there was this willingness to come into a sin-cursed world and pay the penalty. And, and the greatest penalty was not the agony of the physical agony of the cross, but this perfect, holy Son of God taking the guilt for our sins, right? So he paid huge costs for us. So these three things, how God loves us. God chose to have a positive disposition toward us. Remember that led him to value us highly without any consideration of our merit. God always desires and does what's best for us. God loved us even when it cost him dearly. Go to John chapter 13. John 13. This is Jesus' last time with the disciples before he is going to go to the cross and pay the penalty for our sins, rise again. He'll see them again afterwards for a few days. But as he's preparing to leave, one of the last things he has to say to them in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So that is the mark of a Christian, that we actually love each other the way we're supposed to. But how is this a new commandment? We saw that he already talked about the Old Testament, and he, talked, he pulled two verses out of the Old Testament, love God with your whole being, love your neighbors yourself. And he says, this is a new commandment. How is this a new commandment? Well, he clarifies. A new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. Wow, we have just raised the bar, haven't we? When we consider how God loves us, when we think about this radical loving that God, that was a part of the church when it was young and that, that we need to recapture, um, they were living this out. Loving each other, not just as they love themselves, but more highly than they love themselves. They were loving each other the way Jesus had loved them. So what does this look like in our lives then? So let's talk about what would this look like in your life, in my life. So you're loving people like God 
when you choose to have a positive disposition toward them that leads you to value them highly without regard to their merit and leads you always to desire and do what's best for them even when it's costly for you. Wow, that's a long thing. I thought I just got to love them. Well, you do, but then this is the way God loved us, right? You understand? That is the description of how God loves us. And he says that's the way we are to love each other. And by the way, this will be transformative in so many ways. Okay? So let's just walk our way through here. Go ahead, the next thing. He talks about choosing. It's a choice. Love is a choice. Love is an act of the will. Are there any emotions connected with love? Absolutely. Emotions. You can become happy because you love. You can become angry because you love. You can become weepy because you love. All sorts of emotions. But the love itself is not one of those emotions. It is an act of the will whereby you choose to view people the way God views them. Okay? So you're making a choice. And by the way, this is just in marriages, right? This is when Dave and I do premarital counseling. We talk about what this means. It's love, that it is a commitment. It is a, it's a decision that you're making now that you intend never to unmake. Okay? Uh, and you may feel like unmaking it someday. But no, you have chosen to love. Okay? All right. And so you have a positive disposition toward them. And just be honest with yourself right now. Can you think of anybody that you currently do not have a positive disposition toward? I think most of us could. By nature, we, you know, there's somebody that's... Mm-hmm. I have to love every human being. I'm not sure he's human. Right? No, but we're making a choice that every person that comes into my life, every person I have interaction with, or even see at a distance, every one of those persons that I am going to, in some sense, I'm going to lean toward them. You know, it's not about with your heart and your mind, how you think about them, how you talk about them, how you interact. I'm going, I'm choosing to lean toward them, okay? And let's go to the next thing. That leads you to value them highly. I'm going to value these people highly. And I mean, this is so challenging, all this stuff. I mean, I just, almost every day I sit down and spend time with God and we talk about things and what's going on and almost always someplace he's showing me where we need to work on this love here a little bit. Have you ever been around somebody who acted like you were valuable? Isn't that life-giving? Someone who treats you like you're worth something and you have something to contribute and they believe that about you? Well, this is what you do for people. When you choose to have a positive disposition toward them, you value them highly. Not because they've earned it from you, but because they need it from you. I was talking with someone last night, and we were talking about the fact, we were talking a little about this idea of loving, that when somebody is a really nasty person, the kind of person you want to steer clear of, do you understand what you're seeing when you see that nastiness? You're seeing their pain, their hurt, their problems, their struggles coming out. 
And when you love, you aren't going, you're going, oh my, this person is really struggling. See the difference it makes? It's a huge difference, okay? And so you're going to value them highly, which means you may be willing to engage with, and the, the conversation we were having last night was about somebody that's in, in the news and all this kind of stuff and how people feel about this person. And, and I, to be honest, I was feeling, because I'm studying all this stuff, right? I'm feeling compassion toward this person. Think, this person's in a really bad place and wanting to move toward you know, them. And that's, that's where we need to be. Okay, and then the, the last one here. That it's always to desire and do what's best for them. Even when it's costly for you. Now, just as God yeah, does it, everything isn't, how do we say it? Um, God doesn't, you know, doing what's best for us doesn't always mean he does what's pleasant for us or comfortable or any of that kind of stuff. And the same thing for us. It doesn't mean we're going to become doormats and let people walk all over us. It isn't that at all. You don't, you aren't showing to love somebody when they, you let them walk all over you. That isn't being loving to them. But the idea is we are willing to pay the cost. I'm willing to pay the inconvenience of this person. I'm willing to listen to this person again when they have told me the same problem for the, every time I've talked to them for the last year. I'm willing to engage again. I'm, there's a cost to these. Sometimes it might be money coming out of your pocket. But the idea is we're willing to pay the cost. That's how God loved us. So willing to pay the cost. And so the whole thing here with these, all these highlighted, okay, we're going to choose to have a positive disposition, value people highly without regard to their merit, always desire and do what's best for them, even if it's costly to us. That's pretty big loving, isn't it? All right, so loving like God, number one, starts as a supernatural response to the way God loves you. Just a few verses down from where we read, we love him, Why? Because he first loves us. Not because we decide. No, our love is a response to him. And that's where it starts. If you haven't received Christ as Savior, you've got to do that. That's how you respond to his love for you. Okay? Uh, it starts as a supernatural response to the way God loves you. Secondly, it continues as you progressively embrace God's love for you. This is crucial. You will never be able to love others the way God loves you until you begin to let it soak in how God loves you. Does that make sense? You can't love that way if you don't know that way. So you, you begin to embrace it more and more because what's our natural tendency in these kinds of relationships? Our natural tendency is to what? Protect ourselves. We can protect ourselves by doing this or by Pulling back. Either way, but we want to protect ourselves. Why? Well, because we're afraid of what it's, how it's going to go. We're afraid of what it's going to cost us. We're afraid of what we might be rejected. We're afraid of what other people might. We're afraid. Well, it's so cool because look what John says. But he who, has, who fears has not been made perfect in love. Wow. So if I'm, if I'm holding back on these relationships where I ought to be loving like God... Because I'm fearful, I guess I don't really understand God's love for me well enough yet. And that's what I need to get in the middle of, God's love for me. 
And then he says also in the beginning of that verse, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So see, the more complete your understanding of God's love for you, and the more you embrace it and personalize it, it's going to change how you look at the world. It's going to change how you look at the people around you. And then third, loving like God changes other people's lives as you let God's love flow through you. Because people need the love of God, right? And how are they going to experience the love of God? You know, maybe they pick up a Bible and read it. Maybe. Most likely, the first place they're going to experience the love of God is through you or through me. And it's really godly love. It's transformative. I, I just, I just really, I've been overwhelmed by this over the past few years and in growing into this, and that's trying to see people the way God does and love them and, and communicate Him through me into their lives, the love of God, so they can respond to His love. And uh, in Romans chapter 5, it says, The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us, so the love is available to share. Okay, and then the fruit of the Spirit is love, right? So it's there for us, but we got to really lean into God. So here's conclusion, two, two things for you to take today. First, revel in God's love for you. Soak it in. Let it continually change and deepen you. The more you understand about how God loves you, and the more that changes your thinking, and the more it changes your actions, the, the easier it will be for you to let that love come out of you and out to somebody else, which is the second thing. Begin loving others in the same way, with the same love. Anybody excited about this besides me? I'm excited about it. Let's, you know, let's love. Let's, let's, let's be guilty of radical loving. And by the way, I see this from time to time. There are you know, really flashes of glory, God's glory, when I see some of you, how you express your love. And I'll be honest with you, you go do something for somebody, and I'm thinking, boy, I'm glad they're doing it, so I don't have to do it. Wait a minute, that's not a loving way to think. Right? But you get it, right? But I'm encouraged by it when I see it. And I hope you can be encouraged by it when you see it. And the idea is the more we do it, the more encouraged we will be. And you know what will happen? News will get out that Jesus is here. Because by this all men will know. You're my disciples if you have love one for another, the way I have loved you. Father, we come to you and thank you for your word. I do pray, Lord, if there's anybody here, anybody watching who um, has not settled that, their relationship with you, they've not responded to the love you've shown them by sending your son to die for their sins and to rise again. I pray, Lord, that they will just, this very moment in their hearts, just say to you, yes, God, that's me. And I believe and I, I receive Jesus as my Savior. I pray for that. And Father, I pray for all of us that you would just stir our hearts and challenge our minds about where we're at when it really comes to loving others the way you have loved us. And I pray that you will radically transform us as we do. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.